This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. player on the team for me is belly and it's the way he delivers them for real it's like when he delivers his jokes there's no laugh and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not it, we deserve this win man fox force five flying high in motown oh my goodness i'm feeling great man i'm feeling the best i've ever felt i'm excited i'm, I'm all about winning i know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate and just like them i, I want to become not just a playoff team but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention with the 12th pick in the 2020 nba draft sacramento kings select tyrese halliburton Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do than with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here as we always do. What is going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Excited to really kick off our draft coverage today. Yeah, looking forward to getting that started. And uh, the Kings are definitely into the offseason at this point as some playoff basketball is going on around the league. And the Kings are sitting watching from home for, uh, let's just say, a last couple years um they, they currently are sitting at the ninth best lottery odds there's a good chance they end up nine or ten and significant chance uh, i want to say roughly 20 something percent that they jump into the top four as well but i think the idea for today's episode is we go over where we are at with some of these draft prospects and in the future we're definitely going to do some profiles similarly to what rich and i did last off season of covering one or two guys for an entire episode and then slow slowly building out our big board from there um, but I think we all kind of have a good idea of let, let's say the top four right now. Um, and that top four is Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs. Um, that is my order. Is that the same order for you, too? It is right, Brian. Yeah, that is my same order. Um, I have Cade Cunningham is in his own tier at the top, um, and I don't see any argument against him being number one. Uh, I personally have Evan Mobley, number two, and in his own tier, 
Um, but I'm going to understand if anybody else says he's in the same tier as Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs. And depending on team construct and uh, what an individual evaluator prefers from a player, like I can understand somebody saying Jalen Suggs is my number two or Jalen Green is my number three, but that's just my order, uh, both overall and for my preferences for Sacramento. Yeah, and I think um, we're probably going to end up saving the profiles of the top guys for closer to the time of maybe the draft lottery or the actual draft if the Kings do end up moving up when we see the lottery happen about a month beforehand. Um, but, you know, we also put out a, a tweet today asking for a couple questions on what people wanted us to touch on here. And I, I think the first one before we dive into the later parts of the draft that we can touch on here is from Ray, LL Cool Ray. 14 on Twitter, a uh, friend of the show is if the Kings pick three, who do you take? And I, I think that we're in agreement that Cunningham and Mobley should be one and two. So if you're sitting there at pick three and let's say Cunningham Mobley are off the table, where are you going, Brian? I am taking Jalen green. Um, I wasn't the biggest Jalen green fan to start uh, the draft process like five months ago, just because he seemed like everything that I had read up on him, he seemed to be a toolsy guy with uh, some other worries, question marks. Um, but just watching the handful of G League Ignite games, and I definitely have more to do before I can write a full prof profile on him. Uh, Jalen Green is just an absolute stud in so many assets of the game. Um, Multi-talented score just was showcasing the ability to get where he wanted against giant uh, NBA size players, um, still going to be, uh, I think he's going to be 19 on draft 18 on draft night. He's just going to be over 19 on draft night. So still young. Um, I mean, he's got everything you want in a prototypical wing at this next level in terms of offense, uh, in the G league. 15 games, averaged nearly 18 points, four rebounds, three assists, shooting 46% from the field, 36.5% from three with over two made threes a game, 83% uh, from the line. Uh, true shooting percentage was like 61%. So, I mean, he's definitely offensively a very complete player, as athletic a dude as you can ask for at his position. And, um, you know, I think this is a, a good conversation to have because outside of Cunningham, who's clearly 6'8 and can play a forward spot, uh, and Mobley, who's a center, you know, there's a lot of consternation. Well, the Kings have their guards of the future. Does it really make sense for them to draft another uh, dude who's considered kind of a guard uh, at that range? And for me, it's not really that much of a question. Uh, Jalen Green is six six and he's 210 pounds so he's not like or one spot i read him at says he's 210 pounds i don't actually know if that's true but he's definitely long and tall enough that i think he can survive more in guard lineups in with a two guard lineup um where he's kind of that prototypical three um it's not the most ideal situation but certainly something that a team can run with if they want to draft the best player available, which to me, I think Jalen Green is. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Or uh, do you have any more hesitancy towards uh, a three guard? Again, putting emphasis on that, because I think 
Jalen Green can play the three. Or do you have any hesitancy to that? I mean, I do worry about the defense um, because I think that while I do believe in Green playing the three on the offensive end of the floor, and I think the offensive fit with Fox Green and Halliburton is pretty seamless, Green is probably one of, I feel like, the safer bets, actually, um, at the top of this draft when it comes to just like he's going to be a scorer right away in the league. And there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve when it comes to some physicality, but he did get a head start on that with playing with the Ignite crew and everything. Um, so I do worry about the defensive end of the floor when it comes to that, but I mean, not to the point where I'm not taking green three. I'm the exact same with you. And even if we were talking, I mean, I, I view Suggs as the last one of my tier two. I have Cunningham tier one and then Mobley green and Suggs tier two. And I think if you're sitting there at four, um, even if, green is off the table at three. I still think you take Jalen Suggs at four and you work it out. I mean, he's only yeah. six, four, um, but he does have some more strength and I think physicality to him than Jalen green does have. So while I, I don't think it's a ideal fit when you're talking that point in the draft, you are picking for talent and then you just work it out because I, I think that's three. If you're talking Fox Halliburton Suggs again is three extremely high IQ players, um, that do function well both on and off the ball, even though you probably primarily do prefer the ball in their hands, you still can totally make it work. It's not like they don't function without it. And Suggs, while he is 6'4", would have to play the three in that lineup because he just has more strength than Fox and Halliburton. And that's where my concern comes in with Green on the defensive end is that you'd have three guys that are more on the slim end and you would really need a four or five that's there to clean up after defensive mistakes. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't like you, you get the star level talent because both of those guys to me are going to be all stars at some point in this league or a pretty good bet to do that. You get that talent and then you build around them. Yeah, I completely agree. You change your roster construction from that point on to cover up the fact that you have three excellent uh, guard, it, it, you know, I, I will hedge on Jalen Green being uh, kind of a wing, combo wing guy, but I agree that if you draft him, you have to focus uh, your forward and center spot to compensate as much as you possibly can. But that's a roster construction issue that I would love for Sacramento to have because uh, I think both Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs are so talented on offense um, and both honestly, and in their situations, Jalen Green and the G League and Jalen Suggs playing with arguably the most talent-stacked uh, Gonzaga team that has ever played. Both of them have spent a lot of time figuring out, here's what I got to do to provide value on offense when the ball isn't in my hands. So I have zero concerns about either one of those dudes uh, fitting with Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox on offense. Like you said, I do worry about both of them on defense, but not to the point where uh, I would hesitate to draft them, um, and then it would just really be a challenge for Monte McNair to insulate uh, the the three headed lineup on offense uh, on defense. He's got to figure out and get uh, I don't know a Scotty Barnes type. Well, that would be a pretty damn good two one two punch if the Kings had another draft pick in there, huh? Right. Yeah. If yeah. only they had a guy that could have pulled a first rounder this year. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, okay, so one of the responses to this question um, that we got of who would you take at three was trade back to five and take Kuminga. And that one bothered me 
Not going to lie. It bothered um, me too. Was, and it's because I have this clear top four and Kuminga is the guy, you know, while everybody's saying like the top five is set, I think Kuminga is the odd man out of that five and the only one that I see potentially dropping. And yeah. Kuminga has all these ridiculous physical tools, right? Six, eight, two, ten. He looks like there's no chance that he's 19 years old um, or 18 years old at the moment. Um, and again, ridiculous physical tools. You see flashes of creation off the dribble, but he's ridiculously raw. He's going to take a couple years. Um, I said this before we started recording. I hate Jalen Brown comps. And you see like same thing with Jimmy Butler, because like to me, both of these players might as well have been most improved. And even though Jalen didn't actually win the award, he had ridiculous outlier progression when it comes to his decision making and playmaking that I just don't think you can rely on. And obviously it helps that he had the ridiculous, unteachable physical tools. So it's just about piecing up the actual teachable things after that. But I think it's reasonable to be skeptical in this Kings organization to develop talent in a way where their decision-making and the game really slows down for them. Um, so while if I'm sitting at five and, you know, Cunningham, Mobley, Suggs, Green are the ones gone, I'm taking Kuminga. It scares me. And yeah. if I can pick top four, there's no way I'm trading back five to go to Kuminga. Yeah. Um I definitely have to go back and watch a lot of more of Jonathan coming and say, because every time I watch Ignite, my eyes just locked on to Jalen Green. So definitely a lot more to go back on Jonathan Kuminga. Um, but I do feel like his, the conversation that sprung up with him early in the draft process and uh, has kind of just settled into what people expect of him now. Like, I know a ton of really smart evaluators pretty much have him locked at five. And I'm I'm kind of I'm hedging on that only because I need to watch more tape to see if that's the case. Um, but if the option is okay, the Kings are at three and they have a choice between one of the Jalen's or trade back for Kaminga, no, I'm taking one of the Jalen's. There's so much more surefire guys at the next level. Whereas I really do think that Jonathan Kuminga is a lot more of a project player than um, his uh, his the conversation surrounding him might imply. Uh, I mean, let's just give the numbers. In the G League, he averaged 15.8 points, 7.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists, all solid numbers, but shot 38% from the field, 24% from three-point line, 62% from the free throw line like and and you just watch some tape on both ends of the court this dude is still figuring out what he's got to do uh and we've seen plenty of dudes with that kind of athleticism figure it out and if i'm sitting there at five for sacramento i'd be totally fine and excited for monty mcnair to select kuminga and find out what rico hines can really do with a guy like this but he's definitely a lot more of a question mark than I think people are expecting. Yeah, you know, I can see Kuminga busting. And I'm not yeah. saying I think it's likely, but I can see it happening, right? And I can't see it for the other top four guys, which is, it's totally possible. But just where I'm at, I feel like 
Suggs is going to be a good initiator in this league. He's a smart player. He's going to figure out how to make it work. Green is, I mean, I feel pretty good that he's going to end up 18, 20 points per game in the league. And we all know Mobley and Cunningham. Kuminga, I mean, I, I can see him flaming up. Um, I, again, I'm not saying I think it's likely, but development is going to be very important for him. He's going to be a rough prospect from the jump. If you're yeah. sitting there at five, is there someone you're considering along with Kuminga? You know, I, I feel like I'm probably in the minority here. I definitely consider Moses Moody just because I think he is the draft's best culmination of three and D wing in that range. Um, I might consider Scotty Barnes just because uh, unlike Kuminga, I don't think he Barnes, it, you know what you're getting in Barnes in terms of defensive value uh, where I think a lot of Kuminga's tape shows a dude who uh, I feel like there Kuminga got a label as some insanely high motor uh, athlete where I, I, I don't just in the games I've watched, I don't def- necessarily see a dude who is full tilt all the time on defense like Scotty Barnes. So I understand the argument there. Uh, I would still probably take Kuminga at this point, but it's definitely something I'm going to have to consider moving forward. What about you? Yeah, my tier three, which is uh, five and six overall on my board is Kuminga and Barnes. So oh, oh, don't even have Moses Moody in that tier. I have Moody at the top of tier four. Oh, but I don't have him in that tier. And it just comes down to the physical tools and upside. You know, I I think those guys have a much higher upside than Moody, even though Moody has a much higher floor to him. And I feel more confident in him, in him becoming a impactful player, especially more early on in his career. Um, And and there definitely is flashes of self-creation off the dribble for Moody that I think is where the upside comes from. But the physical I think that's our disagreement there is that I really believe in Moses Moody's creation flashes I think more than you do yeah and I, I gotta go watch more Moody for sure um, that's gonna be a theme throughout this episode and as the offseason goes on we're definitely gonna be like I said spending more time on each one of these guys specifically and diving into some profiles of them but yeah the physical build of Kuminga and Barnes um, you know if if things work out for them I think that that just is what gives me the upper hand for them when it comes to them compared to Moody and one question that we got also um, when we put out this Q&A on Twitter is Andrew Davidson here asking, he wants to hear some opinions on Kuminga versus Jalen Johnson. Um, I don't get why Jalen Johnson, he says, is so low on everybody's list. And Jalen Johnson is actually the one guy we've done a profile on. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, I think my argument of Kuminga Barnes having this ridiculous build, this ideal build for the NBA, um, Jalen Johnson kind of falls into that but i mean being 6'9 uh 220 pounds is what i see listed here where he loses compared to the kaminga barnes to me is athleticism overall um he doesn't have a great first step to him and i think that jalen johnson worries me a little bit as a tweener potential um and offensive creation outside of the open court worries me a little bit He's definitely a guy that I actually have more so in like, I have him ranked 11, 12, sort of. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand all of those concerns. Um, I mean, a big with his tool set, the Kings could certainly use a, a big wing 
um, especially one with the passing instincts and some offensive and defensive versatility. To me, his shooting is really the big swing skill um, because his Duke numbers are just massively overinflated by the limited sample size. Uh, I mean, every conversation with Jalen Johnson has to start with the fact that he only played 13 games at Duke. Um, so every statistical quandary at that point needs to be held with some grain of salt uh, while we should really focus on the skill flashes and consider how they could be utilized in Sacramento moving forward. Um, I do want to point this out, though, when I was diving into his numbers, and I'm, I'm saying this right after I said, oh, I take his numbers with a grain of salt. Um, our buddy Brett Huff a couple uh, a week ago or so sent out a tweet that said he discovered part of what Monty McNair looks for in a player, and he had some clean-in-the-glass numbers uh, where it really showcased that everybody that Monty McNair has brought in has insane steal and block rates. Um, Terrence Davis, for example, has a 96 percentile steal percentage uh, and a 58 percentile block percentage. And everybody of DeLon Wright, Mo Harkless, Tyrese Halliburton, and Damian Jones all are above the all about 70, 70th percentile or higher in both block and steal for their positions, which is pretty insane. Um, so looking at that, I decided, all right, I got to go look at the um, players in the Kings draft range, which is, uh, you know, this nine to 10 spot and see which guy has the biggest stock numbers. And surprise, surprise, it's, it's Jalen Johnson. Um, he had a 6% block rate a 3.1% steal rate and per 40 minutes, he averaged 4.5 stocks, which is just pretty dang impressive. No matter, even if for a small sample size of just 13 games. So, um, that kind of made me stop. Cause when I, when we did that last Jalen Johnson profile, I don't know when did we do that uh, over a month ago. Like, now it was once he called the season done. Yeah. And that was forever ago. Let's see. When did we do that? We did the Jalen Johnson profile in late February. Um, so if anybody's a big Jalen Johnson believer, I definitely recommend you go back there because it has a lot of context about him leaving Duke, his physical profile, on and on and on. Um, but it's definitely going to make me hesitate. And I want to go back and watch some more of Jalen Johnson because uh, if he's a defensive event creator, that indicates to me a dude who is a lot more active on defense than I previously gave him credit for. So, uh, I think Jalen Johnson is very much in that, in a big tier for me, outside of the Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, Scotty Barnes tier four for me. All of the forwards that I really think we're going to be focusing a lot on, forwards and wings, are all just in this big tier for me of, it really just comes down to individual preference. Like for me right now, I have Franz Wagner at eight, Zaire Williams at nine, Jalen Johnson at 10, Josh Giddy at 11, Keon Johnson at 12, James Booknight at 13, and Jaden Springer at 14. And I'm sure that's going to just change probably within a week after I watch some more tape. Um, but I think the important thing there is that any one of those dudes, Money McNair drafts any one of those dudes, I'm going to understand the case for. Jalen Johnson, I would certainly understand the case for. Kings need a forward who has some playmaking chops and offers some versatility on both ends of the court. Um, 
And there's not going to be a dude in that range that I think is a perfect, seamless fit with no concerns whatsoever. Jalen Johnson's, like I talked about, is I'm not convinced that he's actually a shooter. Uh, making eight of 18 three-pointers for 44% is not solid enough numbers for me to believe it. So it, it, it's really up in the air there. I like a lot of what I see about Jalen Johnson, um, but I definitely don't think that he deserves consideration in the top four, for sure. Full stop. Yeah, and say just uh, to play devil's advocate, you know, Kaminga shot 24% during his time at night. Um, Scotty Barnes shot 27%, 27.5% during his time at Florida State. It's just, you know, Scotty Barnes is a ridiculous defensive prospect. I think one of the only guys, if not the only, that I feel like you can comfortably say one to five is a possibility for him, defending one to five. Um, and then Jonathan Kaminga's physical tools and flashes on both ends of the floor totally trump anything that Jalen Johnson has. Um, so just because I can see people's counter arguments being, well, if you're worried about shooting, these two guys don't really have that either. Yeah. And for the four, the tier four that you're talking about, which also happens to be tier four for me, where I think, you know, it's likely Sacramento ends up selecting at this nine, 10 spot that they're likely to end up at. Um, I do have Moody, Book Knight, Keon Johnson, Zaire Williams, Franz Wagner, and Jalen Johnson. So I think the only difference was that I don't have Springer in that tier, but I think our next episode is probably going to be profiles on Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, and I could totally see Springer eventually jumping into that for me. Um, but yeah, that that is where I'm at at the moment. And I'm curious, is there is there guys that you see maybe, you know, probably not even quite included in this tier or that you do have in this tier that you want the Kings to stay away from? And I'll start with, I, I think the, the older guys are obvious because I do think the Kings should value a little bit of upside and not worry about um, creation at the moment. And then I also think that, you know, some of these guys aren't great fits for the Kings. Like, I don't think that if we're talking my list of Moody, Booknight, Keon Johnson, Zaire Williams, Franz Wagner, Jalen Johnson. I think that Keon Johnson and James Booknight are notably more rough fits than the rest of them. So if those other guys are on the table, I'm probably looking in another direction. Um, and then the two obvious ones, I think, are Davion Mitchell and Corey Kispert, both yeah, being absolutely. seniors. Um, and while I, I do think they bring very intriguing skill sets to this team, I just don't think the Kings are in a spot where you're looking towards a four-year guy that's more of an immediate impact and probably doesn't have much of a ceiling compared to some of these other guys. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't want to take anything away from Davion Mitchell. Um, he was he deserves that NCAA championship. He was one of the best players on one of the greatest college basketball teams of the last decade. Uh, he has excellent – here, I'll just read his numbers – uh, 14 points per game, 5.5 assists, 2.7 rebounds, uh, nearly two steals a game, um, an excellent true shooting percentage, 62%. Uh, and he shot 44% from three this year, which, I mean, a lot of that sounds really positive. I really do think that Davion Mitchell's shooting numbers this year are inflated um, to a point where I don't necessarily believe that that's his real shooting indicator. Um, his freshman year at Auburn, he shot 28% from three. 
on 3.6 attempts per 40. Then he transferred to Baylor and had a year off. Uh, then the first year he could play for Baylor, he shot 32% from three on 4.3 attempts per 40, which jumps to a whopping 44% from three this year at 5.7 three-pointers attempts, which if if he comes in the league and he shoots it, you know, a 39% clip, let's just say that rounds down to NBA range, that would be an incredible shooting growth, which is certainly possible. But there are other indicators that state he's not as good a actual shooter as his three-point numbers might say. He still shot 65% from the free throw line this year. Um, and we all know that free throw percentage is a decent indicator moving forward of a guy's actual shooting percentage at the NBA level. So, but let's let's say for devil's advocate that Davion Mitchell averages out as an average NBA shooter. Is the rest of his game good enough to where the Sacramento Kings would consider drafting a 6-2 combo guard in the top 10? And I say it's not. I definitely think that Davion Mitchell is a good defender. Uh, boy, I loved watching him just tear Gonzaga apart in that championship. Don't get me wrong. But you have to be like a Marcus Smart or a Drew Holiday-level defender for me to want to draft another guard on this team, especially a 6'2 guard at that range. And I just don't buy it. Um, if the Kings draft Davion Mitchell, I'm going to support him because Lord knows they need a dude in the locker room like this, but that can't not be their primary draft goal in this range, especially with how many wings there are that can definitely help this team's absolute lack of wing depth. So I just am not going to see any situation where Davion Mitchell is the best player available or is the best fit for Sacramento. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. I think that when you're talking um, top four, you don't worry about fit. You take the best player available. Yep. Um, and But then when you reach a later, I think even five, six, maybe seven, there's a toss-up that comes between fit. Um, but then when you're reaching, if you're talking Sacramento picking in nine, 10, I don't think there is going to be a clear best player available unless somebody slides. Um, so this is where fit comes into account. And if you're talking the most needed fit on the Sacramento roster, um, considering there's not going to be any big men that blow you away, you know, if it's not a big man at the very top of the draft, then I'm usually not too interested when you're talking mid late lottery. Um, but wing is a clear need for this team. And certainly if there is a position that's needed the least, it is a guard. Um, Fox Halliburton have that locked up for the future, hopefully for the next decade of this franchise. So agreed with you, you know, it needs to be a Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday type guy, but it's an outlier that those size guys are able to defend up 
the amount of positions that we see them able to do. And I think Davion Mitchell is a guy that I'm absolutely going to love. I, I caught myself watching a whole lot of his defensive clips today, and it's awesome to see. Um, he, he played amazingly in that game against Gonzaga in the championship on both ends of the floor. I think his space creation is actually pretty promising. He makes smart decisions. It just is that I think he's going to be close enough to other guys when it comes to the 9-10 range for the Kings that fit is going to trump how I feel about Mitchell going to the Kings and also being a bit older, um, playing or having been four years at college is definitely make me soured on Mitchell and the idea of him going to Sacramento. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, let me see how old he is. I kind of got it in my head that he's going to be 23 on draft age, and I don't want to say that. Tankathon has 22.7 years. Yeah. He'll be 23 years old when he has his first NBA season, which, you know, isn't a career ender by any stretch of the imagination. I don't want to overrate uh, youth here, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I There's a lot of negatives here for Davion Mitchell in terms of looking for him in Sacramento. Like, He's older. He's going to be a backup primarily if, if you believe that uh, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are the primaries. And I just really struggle to say, yeah, I think he is absolutely for sure going to be better than Franz Wagner or Jalen Johnson or Keon Johnson for that matter. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, 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 I don't get the fascination with Sacramento. And even if I was a team like uh the one i see everybody where i see everybody drafting Davion mitchell is toronto because they're like well toronto loves the veterans and they've had such a success at these kind of hard-nosed guards and yeah sure i get why toronto would be interested but toronto also has the infrastructure to protect a undersized 6-2 guard um and even then they're really be gambling on Davion mitchell being a legitimate floor spacer and uh i just i think that's a lot more of a coin toss than a lot of people might a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that but i think his shooting is a real coin flip at the next level yeah i'm with you i, I definitely don't buy it the level that it was at his senior year after that that big jump um talk to me about keon johnson a little bit here um, we had a little bit of conversation earlier today before recording here but do you worry about the fit of Keon Johnson because I swear he's getting mocked to the Kings left and right <laughs> well let's let's start off here by saying that he has about the exact same measurements as Jalen Green um, there are some sites that say Jalen Green is 6'6 and some that say he's 6'5 everywhere has Keon Johnson at 6'5 with a 6'8 winning span so um if we're going to make the argument that, well, the Kings could totally handle another biggish guard in the right, if they have the right skill set, then we have to say that Keon Johnson has the physical tools to at least be a baseline consideration, right? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. It's just the talent level is uh, a little different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Talent level is completely different. Um, Keon Johnson is, is a big project player in my mind. And I don't really feel like he went to the best project school. Um, let's go print game numbers. 11.3 points, 3.5 assists, 2. Point, I mean, uh, 2.5 assists, 3.5 rebounds, 
uh, one steal, half a block per game, uh, 45% from the field, 27% from three with only, with only 1.8 attempts per game. So he wasn't jacking it up at a high rate uh, and 70% free throw shooter. So, all right. If you're going to take a guy in the top 10 at that with those numbers, you absolutely have to be convinced of one of two things in my mind. That they are an absolute massive game-changing defender where they're going to provide offensive value regardless of if their shooting translates. Um, and I feel like a lot of people who mock him to Sacramento are banking on that first one, that he's absolutely going to be a difference maker on defense. And if that's the case, then sure, I understand it. If Sacram, if Monty McNair said, I want Keon Johnson, I could point to a lot of his defensive tape and say, this is a dude who tries his ass off on defense on both ends of the court and can make some real highlight plays, um, uh, primarily as an on-ball defender. I think his off-ball defense left some to be desired. But, I mean, he's just over 19 years old. He's a young kid. He's got range to figure it out um, and a tool set to help him compensate when he does mess up. Where you lose me is that I don't necessarily think he's enough of a defensive game changer to cover up for the fact that he's a total project player otherwise. Um, and I, 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 I watch him and I see a dude like, hey, he has an amazing um, drive there. Or, hey, that catch-and-shoot shot looked pretty good. Or um, let me pull up his catch-and-shoot numbers because they were pretty okay. Uh, he was in the 59th percentile for catch and sh shoot shots, which is pretty good for a dude whose shooting is a question mark. Unfortunately, everything else about his offensive game is just very much a question mark. Like, you look at his synergy numbers, I think you jokingly said to me earlier, they look terrible. Yeah, 35% on jump shots. Um, usually, if you're talking a guy like that, you're viewing him more as a slasher, and 56% at the rim is is decent but it's not quite a level when you're thinking of a top 10 prospect that synergy has him at the 55th percentile there yeah. um and yeah I, I mean i think that you know there is an argument i've heard often i heard Vassini make this um on his podcast was you know that tennessee was running two bigs and it was pretty often that while springer became the more ideal guy in a pick and roll that if they were looking for a situation, Tennessee, that is, that they needed to be bailed out, they were giving the ball to Keon Johnson and asking him to isolate a little bit. And that put him in some rough situations and led to some rough shot taking and uh, misses as well that maybe don't look great on film. And maybe the idea is that with his quick twitch and he is stupidly athletic, we should definitely mention, oh, yeah. um, which is part of this ridiculous upside that I think he's profiled for. Um, but I think like you said, he's just very raw. And if a lot of your argument is, you know, he just wasn't in an ideal situation. Um, it's, it's just a little scary. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like there, anybody who is a big believer in Keon Johnson, the Sacramento is really banking on, uh, a lot of what I was very optimistic last year about Isaac Okoro, um, that he'd come in and be a defensive difference maker, but the difference is, is that while Isaac Okoro was not a great shooter at that point, he was an insanely talented slasher. And 
he has a ton more mass to him. Like, I'm sorry, Keon Johnson is like 6'5", and in college was like 186 pounds. Isaac Okora was 6'6", and 220 pounds of pure tank. So if if Keon Johnson had Isaac Okoro's skill set in terms of his driving ability and he had an extra 35 pounds on him, I'd be a lot more interested in Keon Johnson. But if he, if you're not going to have a shooter, you have to make up for it in a lot of different ways. And I just don't know that Keon Johnson does. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okoro, but, 64% at the rim to yeah. 56 for Keon Johnson. Yeah, and, and it's not like Auburn was any less crowded than Tennessee. Let's be real. So, right. so I, I, we'll have a lot more to say about uh, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer in, in, within the week. So. Definitely. And again, Keon is a guy that I, I totally can talk myself into at 9-10. I have him in this tier that to me is 7-12, to 12, um, and that could end up expanding or maybe getting a little bit shorter, but I think it's going to stay roughly around that range. And I think every single one of these guys I could be talked into for Sacramento for talking at pick nine, 10 in that range. Um, is there a guy that you have in that sort of range or tier four that you want the Kings to stay away from? In that range? I mean, the other one is Corey Kispert. Um, I think we touched on his name and didn't really get into it. Um, I, I, I can hear the jokes because Lord knows that I've ranted enough about Gonzaga on this podcast but I've also had big draft crushes on quite a few Zags over the last couple of years, and I've got Jalen Suggs' uh, top four on my board. I'm just not a big believer in Corey Kispert outside of his shooting. Um, and I don't know. If you spend a top 10 pick on a shooter, then he's got to be elite, and I feel like Corey Kispert is on the verge of being elite. Um, I think that his numbers were inflated. Like If you just look at his numbers, 44% from three, on nearly three makes per game, which is absolutely insane. But I also feel like it's a real, it's a real chicken or the egg situation, um, which affects his numbers more, his shooting excellence or the legendary team he was playing on. Um, and that's a bit reductive as Corey Kispert is an excellent shooter full stop, and he will be a strong shooter at the next level. But there's no doubt that playing on one of the greatest offensive teams of the decade playing next to a star initiator and Suggs, a dynamic big and Drew Timmy, multiple scoring off guards, and one of the best offensive coaches in the history of college basketball. That all gave Corey Kispert space that he simply would not find anywhere else in the country. Um, does that mean his shooting success will end at the NBA level? Of course not. But anybody who points to Kispert's splits and says, well, he's destined to be the next Clay Thompson on offense, is really missing the situation that Corey Kispert played on one of, if not the best situation in the last decade for a shooter. Um, and NBA spacing will give him more, will give him some spacing, no doubt. But like literally half of his catch and shoot shots this year were unguarded, which would not have been the case for a dude that offense, that shooting talented. Um, so I, I, I if you're going to say that Corey Kispert goes top 10, you have to absolutely believe in the shooting, which I respect anybody who does. But the rest of his game, like I'm not going to buy that he can be a plus defender at the next level. And Lord help me, if I am going to draft another uh, 
below average defensive player at the next level. Like it's my big concern with Josh Giddy. Um, it's my it's a concern with Jalen Johnson. It's a concern with Zaire Williams, but each one of those dudes is four years younger than Corey Kispert. Right. And to me, I still think the Kings are just in a position where they need another guy that can be an all-star. And obviously, that is a lot to ask for if you're talking pick 9-10, but it's certainly possible. And where I'm at, I just am going to value upside a little bit more um, for the situation the Kings are in right now. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I would like to see Monty McNair signal with this draft pick unless there's a Tyrese Halliburton fall where the dude with the highest ceiling and the dude with the safest floor align perfectly in that instant, right? Um, I would rather see Monty McNair take a bigger swing with this pick. Um, and to what degree there is really an argument. Like Franz Wagner is a home run swing, but he's not as risky as Zaire Williams, right? Yeah. Jalen Johnson is somewhere in the middle of those two dudes. Um. But every one of them has a much higher ceiling and to me a, a at least similar or significantly better defensive floor than Corey Kispert. So, yeah, yeah, it's a real conundrum. Um, I want to say live on the air, I pulled up Tankathon and I've done the Tankathon uh, sim lottery so much that it's just like in my if I type in Tankathon, it just pulls up the mock draft and I just hit Sim Lottery just yeah, to see I type what happens. T in my search bar, it pops up. Yeah. Well, guess what happens? <laughs> I just sent the lottery once and the Kings jumped to number one. Wow. I, I did it one time. <laughs> promise you, they jumped to four. Yeah. It's happening. It's certainly Ba-da-ba. possible. <laughs> number one, man. What I wouldn't give. Um, But, you know, I think it's interesting. We heard a lot last year that the draft last season was rough and that this this year's 2021 was supposed to be really strong. And I think what people don't fully understand is that the top of last year's draft is where people were skeptical and saying it's not as strong as yep. as most years. But there was some really good depth. As you saw Halliburton go 12, um, you've seen plenty of players this season that were just drafted in the most recent uh, draft are performing pretty early on in their career. And I think they're going to for a little while. Desmond Bain going 30, Peyton Pritchard, 26. Can't believe I'm saying that. Emmanuel <laughs> quickly, 25. Tyrese Maxey, a guy, 21. Yeah, Sadiq Bay 19. Poku, 17. Looks like a solid pick. There's plenty of guys. I think there was a lot of depth in the last draft. Yeah, but, which I feel like you and I and Rich were all saying at the time. Yeah. Yeah, the draft at the top thousand times weaker than this draft at the top but unfortunately for sacramento i really feel like the range that the kings are sitting in if the lottery stays flat is a lot weaker than last year's totally um and, and let's start at the top or yeah let's start at the top your number one last year was ant right yep where does ant rank if he's in this year's class you're gonna have a gun to my head and i'm still not going to be able to choose between Anthony Edwards and Jalen Green. Okay. I, th- I think I might favor Anthony Edwards, but that like puts him at three. Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know about yeah. Ant now, I'm with you. Um, but last year I would have had him at five. Yeah. And I, I believed in Ant 
pretty strongly last year. Uh, and uh, I really think he's he's his year this year has been damn excellent. So I'm glad to see him producing at that level. But even last year, I probably would have had him three this year. Um, but he wasn't a surefire lock like Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley are. And right. he is a lot. He he's in that same conversation for me as Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs. Um, but I mean, that's one dude. Um, Lamelo Ball. I would probably have had Lamelo Ball fifth. Yeah, I think we just have those two guys swapped because right yeah. now, last year for me it would have been like Lamelo or Suggs. I don't really know. Yeah, it, it's definitely more of a conversation than I think we got last year. But then when you reach three, okay. I. They're probably <laughs> sitting about six, seven for me, you know, because yeah. I had a Coro three, which. Yeah, me too. Yeah, not surprising there, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, well, I feel like, okay, Isaac Okoro is the real uh, outlier for me and you because if Isaac Okoro was in this draft, I would probably have him fifth. But I understand that he'd be a lot lower for most, say, draft evaluators. So. Yeah, he, I'd, I'd probably have him seven, I think. Yeah, and uh, like Anyako Kongwu, where would you have him? I think I might have him. I'd probably have him under Kuminga at this point. Yeah, I definitely would. But In I that, don't think I'm too far off from Scotty Barnes, and I definitely like him more than, you know, this moody book night Johnson tier. Yeah. Um, Killian Hayes, like... I think Killian Hayes is in that same tier mm -hmm. and he went seventh. So it kind of makes sense. But then you get to like, we can skip Obi Toppin because I think Obi Toppin is definitely <laughs> the uh, dude in the lottery that you and I were the most skeptical on. And to this point, I feel like we've been right up out. Yeah. Item 11. Um, Denny Adiva didn't play enough to where I watched him enough to get a real feel on how he's doing, but um, here's the real one. Where would you have had Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State last year? I mean, he'd be at the top of tier four for me. Probably. I mean, I think there's a good amount of guys in, in last year's draft and Halliburton being one of them that I would have this completely different tier between me. Tier three is Kuminga Barnes and then four goes Moody, Booknight, Johnson, Williams, Wagner, Jalen Johnson. I think that there's a handful of guys that if last year's was combined, I would have to create a different tier there. And yeah. because I, I think that Halliburton is a tier below Kaminga Barnes for me, but also a tier above the whole Moody book night, Keon Johnson, Zaire, blah, blah, blah. No, if I, if I had to put Tyrese Halliburton, uh, I had him seventh last year behind Killian Hayes, Devin Vassell and Lamelo ball. That's my king's centric big board, by the way. I feel like any one of those dudes and Tyrese Halliburton would be fifth on my big board this year, behind yeah. Jalen Suggs, but ahead of Jonathan Kaminga. So the whole point here is that I really feel – well, let's just do one more just for the heck of it and because I haven't said his name yet. Where would Tyrese <laughs> Maxey be? This is what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, I think he's in this tier four, but he's in consideration for pick seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd probably yeah. have him behind Kaminga in the Moody, uh, Scotty Barnes range. You know, we have to do this for, for Will. 
Where do you <laughs> where do you put Poku? Is Poku oh. higher or lower than Zaire Williams? Because they're pretty comparable, actually. If I'm taking a gamble on upside at that point, I would definitely take Poku. I would yeah. rather have Poku than Zaire Williams. So that really should indicate to anybody like the the dudes in um we're relatively high on some of the dudes in the five to eight range. But any one of those dudes we just talked about, I would probably draft above Franz Wagner or Zaire Williams or Jalen Johnson or Josh Giddy or Keon Johnson. Pick your favorite flavor. Uh, and I don't know. The depth in Sacramento's range this year, it's a good thing on one hand because every name I just gave you is a wing or a forward. And that's Sacramento's biggest need. But I also don't feel like this the middle of this lottery is anywhere near as talented as last year. So zero question mark going forward. Yeah, definitely is. And uh I, I think that we're gonna be able to have a lot of conversation moving forward about these guys, assuming that the Kings are, you know, more likely than not gonna end up in this nine ten spot. And even if they end up in the top, it'll definitely make for some interesting conversation. But I think that Throughout the offseason here, we're going to keep going with some of our profiles. And the next plan is to go to Keon Johnson and, and Jaden Springer, touch on the Tennessee guys. And we're definitely going to get through a good handful of prospects. I would definitely like to get all the way through to the point where we're talking about Sacramento's second round, which is near pick 40, but we'll see. And I, I think there's also guys that um, personally I haven't done enough research on to have conversation about at this point, like Alperin Sengun, who's a uh, center from overseas, Actually, I wrote down. I wrote down the pronunciation. It's. Oh no! You just said that right. I, I am. That was very lucky because that is the first uh, time I've ever said that out loud. So yeah, Alperin Sengun. There we yeah, go. You said that. Right. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Well, yeah. Have you seen uh, Roku's last name? No. Uh, pull him up on Tagathon and see if you can get it because I Roku Jokobitis. What? Oh, we're looking at two different Rokus. Oh, you're right. I'm looking at Rokas. Okay. R-O-K-U? How am I uh, lost here? Where is he on TikTok? Uh, 47. 47. Oh, got you. Rocco. Oh, Jesus. There's a vowel missing somewhere here. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Rocco Prakashin. It's Roku Perkashin. Oh. Man, I should have known. Wait, yeah, like I wasn't gonna get that one. Uh, <laughs> but I agree. Like I've watched twenty minutes of Roku Perkashin tape. I've watched ten minutes of Alperin Sengun tape. Um, and then even beyond that, like what I've seen of Us like he'll be a draft favor of mine because Lord knows I love power wings who are defensive tanks. Um, but like I haven't seen enough to have an uh, honest conversation about him. Right. And I, then like Isaiah Jackson and Kai Jones. Yeah. Uh, is Chris Duarte really worth a, a top 20 pick? I don't know. Right. I didn't watch enough of Oregon the last two years to have that conversation. Yeah. Gonna have to watch more Josh Giddy just to make Tim back off this take. <laughs> Josh Giddy is the biggest him. You know, I said earlier that anybody in that tier of the wings and forwards, I'm going to understand the argument for it. And Josh Giddy, I will understand the offensive fit for. But 
uh, a lot of really smart people, including our buddy PD Webb, have really said he's got good instincts on defense. It's really up to the team to utilize him. Uh, and I really got to go back and watch more Josh Giddy because I just see a dude just way too skinny and going to get destroyed at the NBA level on defense. But same argument can be made for Zaire Williams. So, Right. And we're definitely going to have to get other guests on here that cover the draft because you and I have a crush for the same uh, prototype of guy. So we're going to end up with some similar <laughs> takes at times. Um, but yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't have rich to be the permanent, uh, <laughs> the Cole Anthony's to get anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder I, our, our buddy, rich, congratulations to him and his beautiful wife uh, on their beautiful baby. Um, Lord knows who would, who would rich be crushing on in this draft? Oh, it's Trey man. It's Trey Mann for sure. It's I Trey could Mann see Josh sure. Giddy though. I could see him coming on board here. I don't think uh, does. Is Richard really okay with skinny dudes? I don't know. Well, he seems to have thrown defense out the window. <laughs> Which, yeah, that was definitely the case last year when you and I were like, "Why wouldn't Isaac Okoro be the absolute <laughs> best fit for Sacramento at twelve? Right. Yeah. Right. So. But yeah, the, the Kings are definitely going to have a pool of talents to take a selection from if they stick at 9-10. Hopefully they jump, but we're going to definitely keep some coverage up here. Like I said, we'll definitely have other draft experts on here as well to get some varying opinions and continue or I guess start um, with our profiles here as we continue to build our big boards. But just wanted to throw out our thoughts with where we're at at the current point in time with some of these prospects as we continue to dive into them a bit more. And next episode is going to be full profile on Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, both guys that I think could be strongly considered for the Kings at 9 and 10. So definitely stay tuned for that. And there's a lot of great work going on at the Kings Herald, as there always is. There's player profiles that we're doing in place of report cards this year to wrap up how the year has gone for each player on Sacramento's roster and up-to-date news on everything going on with the Sacramento Kings discussion board and all that. So definitely check out the site, kingsherald.com, and support the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoy this episode of the Kings Post podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.